J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 141 The Road to Emmaus Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35 And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were held that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem, and have not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yes, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre, and found it even so as the woman had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near unto the village where they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them, in breaking of bread. The history contained in these verses is not found in any other gospel but that of Luke. Of all the eleven appearances of Christ after his resurrection, none perhaps is so interesting as the one described in this passage. Let us mark in these verses what encouragement there is to believers to speak to one another about Christ. We are told of two disciples walking together to Emmaus, 
and talking of their master's crucifixion. And then come the remarkable words, While they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Conference on spiritual subjects is a most important means of grace. As iron sharpens iron, so does exchange of thoughts with brethren sharpen a believer's soul. It brings down a special blessing on all who make a practice of it. The striking words of Malachi were meant for the church in every age. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. Malachi 3, verse 16 and 17. What do we know ourselves of spiritual conversation with other Christians? Perhaps we read our Bibles and pray in private and use public means of grace. It is all well, very well. But if we stop short here, we neglect a great privilege and have yet much to learn. We ought to consider one another to provoke to love and good works. We ought to exhort and edify one another. Hebrews 10.24 and verse Thessalonians 5.11 Have we no time for spiritual conversation? Let us think again. The quantity of time wasted on frivolous, trifling, and unprofitable talk is fearfully great. Do we find nothing to say on spiritual subjects? Do we feel tongue-tied and speechless on the things of Christ? Surely, if this is the case, there must be something wrong within. A heart right in the sight of God will generally find words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew twelve thirty four. Let us learn a lesson from the two travelers to Emmaus. Let us speak of Jesus when we're sitting in our houses and when we're walking by the way, whenever we can find a disciple to speak to. Deuteronomy 6, 7. If we believe we're journeying to a heaven where Christ will be the central object of every mind, let us begin to learn the manners of heaven while we are yet upon earth. So doing, we shall often have one with us whom our eyes will not see, but one who will make our hearts burn within us by blessing the conversation. Let us mark secondly in these verses how weak and imperfect was the knowledge of some of our Lord's disciples. We're told that the two disciples confessed frankly that their expectations had been disappointed by the crucifixion of Christ. We had hoped, said they, that it had been he who would have redeemed Israel. A temporal redemption of the Jews by a conqueror appears to have been the redemption which they looked for. A spiritual redemption by a sacrificial death was an idea which their minds could not thoroughly take in. Ignorance like this at first sight is truly astounding. We cannot be surprised at the sharp rebuke which fell from our Lord's lips. How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe. Yet, ignorance like this is deeply instructive. 
It shows us how little cause we have to wonder at the spiritual darkness which obscures the minds of careless Christians. Myriads around us are just as ignorant of the meaning of Christ's sufferings as these travellers to Emmaus. As long as the world stands, the cross will seem foolishness to natural man. Let us bless God that there may be true grace hidden under much intellectual ignorance. Clear and accurate knowledge is a most useful thing, but it is not absolutely needful to salvation, and may even be possessed without grace. A deep sense of sin, a humble willingness to be saved in God's way, a teachable readiness to give up our own prejudices when a more excellent way is shown. These are the principal things. These things the two disciples possessed, and therefore our Lord went with them and guided them into all truth. Let us mark thirdly in these verses how full the Old Testament is of Christ. We're told that our Lord began with Moses and all the prophets and expounded in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How should we explain these words? In what way did our Lord show things concerning himself in every part of the Old Testament field? The answer to these questions is short and simple. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed, the true Shiloh to whom all people were to be gathered the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. These things, or something like them, we need not doubt, were some of the things which our Lord expounded on the way to Emmaus. Let it be a settled principle in our minds in reading the Bible that Christ is the central son of the whole book. So long as we keep him in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. Once losing sight of Christ, we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. The key of Bible knowledge is Jesus Christ. Let us mark, finally, in these verses, how much Christ loves to be entreated by his people. We are told that when the disciples drew near to Emmaus, our Lord made as though he would have gone further. He desired to see if they were weary of his conversation. But it was not so. They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Cases like this are not uncommon in Scripture. Our Lord sees it good for us to prove our love by withholding mercies until we ask for them. 
He does not always force his gifts upon us, unsought and unsolicited. He loves to draw out our desires and to compel us to exercise our spiritual affections by waiting for our prayers. He dealt so with Jacob at Peniel. Let me go, he said, for the day breaks. And then came the noble declaration from Jacob's lips, I will not let you go except you bless me. Genesis thirty-two twenty-six. The story of the Canaanitish mother, the story of the healing of the two blind men at Jericho, the story of the nobleman at Capernaum, the parables of the unjust judge and friend at midnight are all meant to teach the same lesson. All show that our Lord loves to be entreated and likes importunity. Let us act on this principle in all our prayers. If we know anything of praying, let us ask much and ask often and lose nothing for lack of asking. Let us not be like the Jewish king who smote three times on the ground and then stopped his hand. 2 Kings 13.18 Let us rather remember the words of David's psalm, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Psalm 81.10 It is the man who puts a holy constraint on Christ in prayer who enjoys much of Christ's manifested presence.